Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back. My name is Troy Lather, and I am the site pastor here at West Bend for Kettleberg Church. Also, want to welcome back not just myself and uh, my wife, but the EV team, who all seems to be sitting right here uh, this morning. So give, give them a welcome back. Good to see you guys. Jordan, I talked to your dad this morning. He said he was up until the wee hours of the morning debriefing with you and, and hearing the story. So I'm sure many of you went through that. So it's great to have you back. Um, yeah, we had uh, just an awesome time spending about just a little over a week with Eric and Molly. And we carved out a little bit of time, obviously, to do some iPad video so they could give a shout out to you. And they just wanted to express their gratitude to the support of, of the church as a family for them. I can tell you briefly that being with Eric and knowing some things Knowing, okay, here's a guy who grew up in West Bend, was a West Bend East son, okay, was, uh, was then got his degree as uh, a physician, board certified doctor. And he and Molly decided then, in light of that, to leave here. After having a degree as a doctor, to leave here and the comforts of this place and go to a place that is not very comfortable. It's inspiring. It's challenging. It's convicting, quite frankly, to think about to think about that. And what's awesome to see is that it's the love that they have for God and the love they have for others that compels them and calls them to to do this and to live this way. And not only just to live that way, but to do so with such joy that's evident on a daily basis. One of my takeaways from the trip was that um, I actually took, I took a picture of Eric and Molly and I laminated it and I put it in my wallet and it put Philippians 2.14 on there. It says, do everything without complaining or grumbling. Okay, and the reason why I did that is because I was watching them live, and I'm like, they're not complaining about anything. And, and I, I'll tell you what, folks, I'll just be honest. Um, right over here at the stoplight on 33, you will find me mostly complaining. Because I, and my line is, okay, we've put people on the moon, we have mapped the human genome, and I have to sit there when no one else is coming the other direction. Come on, light. Okay, so this is the kind of stuff I find myself complaining about. I'm going to try not to do that anymore. Because I'm going to be reminded of, in the midst of all the things that Eric and Molly have to complain about, and it's a lot, that they do not. They experience this great joy in the midst of all this. Okay? And I can tell you that the joy they experience is impossible for them apart from Christ. It is, a possi- it is impossible for them to experience that kind of joy apart from the vine. They understand better than than most of us that they can do nothing without Christ in their context. They experience Him on a daily basis because they need to. Because better than than we ever probably even have to here, they're, they're, they're always uncomfortable. And we're always seemingly comfortable here and safe and secure and things are relatively easy. But it was amazing to watch them abide in Christ every moment of every day doing life on the vine. And this morning we are continuing on our series, Life uh, on the vine. As we look at the text this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to be challenged to abide in Christ and bear fruit here in our context as we are. And so we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to break a message up into two parts. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the first half, and then we're going to reflect on that, and I'm going to give you the second half, and we're going to do the same. And to do that, uh, let's look at the first half, which is in John chapter 15. Uh, we're going to go through verses 5 through uh, 8 and then 9 through 17. So grab a brown Bible and turn to page 764. We're going to be in John chapter 15 again. Page 764. We'd strongly encourage you to grab a Bible and follow along with me as we go through this. What we're about to read is some of the words that Jesus shared with his disciples, uh, basically right before he was turned over, handed over, betrayed, and then eventually crucified. 
So, um, John 15, verse 5. I was going to pray quick. Father, would you give us um, eyes to see, prepare our hearts to hear what you are saying through your Son, Jesus, and his words this morning here in this text. We pray this in his name. Amen. Verse 5. These are Jesus' words to his disciples. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. These are the words of Jesus. Now, I haven't had a chance yet to listen to Dan Kelm, uh, who was here last week, but I believe he went through verses 1 through 4 here last week. And what you'll probably find is the words that Jesus just said, you might have almost find him repeating himself. Because in the first four verses, he talks about, hey, if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. If you don't, you won't. And he says the same things again here in these verses. He says, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Um, some years back, I was having breakfast with one of my mentors, a guy named Steve Meyer, and he was telling me a story of a time that he and his wife Sue had gone out to the Sonoma Valley in California over breakfast. And so he was giving this picture. He said, you know, one day, we, it was later in the afternoon, we went to a, a museum in the, in the Sonoma Valley, and we were kind of learning on these placards and signs about the different kinds of uh, grapes and the different kinds of wines that they produce. And he said, what was interesting, he says, I came to learn that in the Sonoma Valley, what, what happens is, is the common table wines that we are usually familiar with come from the rows and rows and the miles and miles of, uh, of, of vines that are planted in the valleys, where there's a lot of the sun and there's ample water. And, and he said, but what's interesting is he said, what I didn't necessarily know is there's also a different kind of grape that grows more in the mountains or more on the hillsides. And it kind of looks like this, this next picture. These, these grapes, there's not quite as many of them. Um, they have a little bit more of a difficult go of things because they have more in, intense exposure to the sun. They also have less water because the water drains off more quickly. But what the placards were describing was that these uh, wines are actually the most valuable wines in the vineyards. Because of the fruit that they produce. And the only way that they do that is they produce fruit by digging down deeper. And their roots grow deeper. And he said, Troy, this is an amazing picture of of what it looks like to follow Jesus. That as we remain in him, as our roots grow deeper and deeper, we may have to endure more heat or less water, if you would. But as our roots grow and grow, we abide more and more in Jesus that he produces this amazing fruit in us and then through us. And so Jesus says, if a man or a woman remains in me, he will bear fruit. He will bear much fruit. So what does it look like to remain in Jesus? That might be a question that you're asking. So Troy, what does that practically maybe look like to remain in Jesus? How do I do that? Does that just mean I've got to read the Bible all day? Is that remaining in Jesus? Not necessarily. But I want you to think of a dichotomy. So I think remaining in Jesus means consulting Jesus through prayer more than seeking the opinion of others. Fair enough? So, so abiding in Christ means consulting Him through prayer more than, than listening to the opinion of others. 
Remaining in Jesus would be listening more to Jesus' words than to the words of others. Remaining in Jesus means following Jesus out of our comfort zone instead of building up walls of comfort and safety. Remaining in Jesus means drawing our affirmation and our identity from Jesus and not from the things of this world. Remaining in Jesus means putting Jesus' agenda first and not our agenda. It means resting in Jesus' completed work on the cross and not anxiously striving to earn favor with God or with others. Do you see the dichotomy? you see the difference? This is what it looks like to remain in Christ, and this is what it looks like to not do so. And he paints this picture. He says, here's what's going to happen. You do these things, and you will bear much fruit. And then he contrasts and says, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, when I'm reading that text, I'm kind of like, I don't know, Jesus. Apart from you, we can do nothing? I mean, people do stuff all the time. People who don't follow Jesus, they're, they're doing stuff all around the world, quite frankly, without necessarily abiding in Christ. So, so am I, are you, what, what are you doing? Are you saying something? Is there a superlative here? Or are you telling a story? It, it, what it means, folks, is this. He can't mean it literally, because we know that people do things outside of him. But what it means is that we can't bear fruit. Because if you look in the context, he says, if you remain in me, you'll bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, which is implying that you can't bear fruit. And the fruit... That we're talk- he's talking about bearing here is, I would assume it's not grapes, okay, or bananas. He's talking about bearing spiritual fruit. And so you might say, okay, Troy, um, I don't, I mean, what, do, what, what would spiritual fruit be? It's a fair question. He's actually going to tell us in the next verses that we go through, but I'll give you a, a, a preview. The fruit, the spiritual fruit that Jesus is talking about here is, is first of all, the love, the love of God and others. And then discipleship, number two. The love of God for others, the love for God and others, and then discipleship are the two spiritual fruits that Jesus is going to be honing in on in this uh, context. In other words, spiritual fruit is an increasing love for God and therefore others, and it's also a love of others in a way that would want to invest in them to have them understand the same love for God and others. It's discipleship, okay? Apart from me, he says... You can do nothing. You can bear no spiritual fruit. You can't do those things outside of Jesus. Ever since uh, my wife Stephanie went through uh, breast cancer a year and a half ago, she's been more conscientious about the things that she's putting in her body as far as food goes. And so one of the things she's been doing is juicing. Okay? One of the things that I should say we have now been doing is, is, is juicing. Okay? And... Um, uh, this, is a, this is a really nice juicer that we were blessed with from Christmas from um, uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law. And so this thing is a sweet piece of machinery. You, you put the fruit in there and, you know, it, it pumps out some serious juice. But by the way, did you know that carrot juice fresh is actually really good? Like, I did not know that nor believe that until I tried some. And if you throw a little mango in there with it or something, it's really good. And apparently good for you. So that's good. The thing of it is, though, is that this juicer does really nothing without being plugged in, right? Got nothing. Now, you could, I suppose, take a mango or a a grapefruit and put it underneath here and then smash it and try to see if it get a little juice out of there. That's not what it's made for, right? What it's made to do is made to produce juice, and to do that, you have to plug it in. And when you plug it in... And you turn it on, 
Sweet sound of juicy coming out. Okay? Now, you don't put your hand in here. Okay? Now, I also know this starts to look like an infomercial right now. I'm really sorry. For just five easy payments of $29.99, this too can be yours. Okay? Um, no, so I'm hoping... So I like props. That's what I do. So here's the point, folks. You can't produce juice. See, this is designed to bear fruit. Juice. See what I did there? This is... This is designed to bear fruit juice. And with, with, if it's not plugged in, if it's not connected, it will not produce fruit. Jesus is like, apart from me, he's like, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can't do anything. You can't produce the spiritual fruit. You have to be plugged into and connected to and abiding in Christ. And Jesus says, if we're not plugged into him, we're not able to produce anything, and we're actually going to be like this branch that withers, that is gathered, that is thrown into a fire and burned, which actually doesn't sound like a very politically correct way to go about it, Jesus. In fact, it sounds kind of harsh, which is why I'm not saying that's, that's what happens. Jesus is saying that. He's saying that. And he's saying it because it's important. Because not allowing the Jesus, to, Jesus to work in us and through us to produce fruit not only threatens fire, but it ultimately robs God of the glory that He deserves. He says, "This is for my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit." In other words, folks, we can do all kinds of things. We can do all kinds of things, even apart from Christ. But ultimately, anything that we do that doesn't bring God glory is like chaff. It's like chaff. It's worthless. They can be blown away. And we can't bring God glory apart from Jesus. And so let me ask you this. Are you trying to produce spiritual fruit apart from Christ? Or how about this? What, when you accomplish something in this world, do you give God glory or do you seek credit and glory for yourself? Okay? Again, the fruit that Jesus is going to be talking about, he's, we're going to expand upon in the next half. But before we go there, I want you to take a few minutes here. We're going to give you maybe two, three minutes. We're going to have you reflect on a few questions. I'm going to put them up here. They're also in a handout that you should have gotten as you came in the door. I encourage you to take that handout. It's the same questions. And if you have a pen, you can take two, three minutes and jot some ideas down that hopefully the Spirit will bring to you as you wrestle through these questions. What in your life are you trying to do apart from Christ? And why are you trying to do it apart from Christ? We want you to think about those things. For a couple minutes here. Secondly, how would you describe the spiritual fruit of your life? And that is, as Jesus uh, mentions here, the love of God and love of others, and then discipleship and, and you investing in others. How would you describe that spiritual fruit? And then how is that impossible without Jesus? And so with this, I'm going to give you a couple minutes to uh, meditate and pray about that. We're going to pick back up in verse 9, page 764, finish out this chunk of text. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Follow along with me. Still Jesus' words. As the Father has loved me, So have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. This is God's Word. Uh, There is so much stuff in here that I am not going to really do this any justice, but I do want to give you a few uh, things that stuck out to me as I read through it this time. There is an intense connection here between remaining in Jesus, between bearing fruit, and loving. There's a connection between remaining in Jesus, bearing fruit, and loving. Twice in these short verses, Jesus tells his disciples to love each other. And his language here is not meant to set up, it, it may sound like it at times, to set up this dichotomy of, okay, you either remain and then you're going to bear fruit, or you don't. And then, I mean, it's really the, the gist of this is to focus on him. He's saying, look at me. He's like, as I have obeyed the Father, I would like you to obey me. He says, obey me as I have obeyed. Everything I've heard from the Father, I've shared with you. He's like, he is the, the epitome of everything that he's saying. He, Jesus, is at the center of this text. He's saying, Everything the Father has told me, I told you. Now, what's, what I find helpful, uh, personally, is verse 11, which sandwiched in here, because Jesus me- mentions this idea of commandments like three times in these verses. He's like, if you obey my commands, if you do what I command, this is my command. And so we're kind of like, wait, Jesus, are you... Like, I, I thought you were about grace and not rules, and now you're talking about commands all the time. But sandwiched in this is this idea of joy in verse 11. He says, I told you this so that you may have my joy... And that my joy may be, your joy may be complete. See, Jesus obeyed the Father, and as he obeyed the Father, he experienced joy in obeying. He was experiencing joy in obeying. He did not obey in order to experience the Father's love. If you remember back, if you know about Jesus' baptism, what happened to the baptism is that Jesus, we hear this voice from God the Father says, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. And that was before Jesus really did anything. Ministry-wise. Jesus knew that he was loved by the Father. And so he obeyed, and in that obedience he experienced joy. And he wants his disciples to know that kind of joy as well. And we witnessed this kind of supernatural joy uh, with Eric and Molly when we were in Chad. I'll give you a couple of very practical, small examples of it. One of them is this. Eric is an introvert. Okay, some of you here are introverts, and you're like, yeah, I like Eric already. I wouldn't talk to him, but I like him. So, so, so you're like, okay, so how, what's the, how does Eric experience supernatural joy as an introvert? So if you're in, in Chad, Africa, part of the, the, the culture there is that you greet. And the greeting is not like, hey, how's it going? You know, living the dream. You know, like what we do here is stupid stuff. Anyway, it's still stupid there anyway. But anyway, here's how it goes. It is, um, I can't remember all the words. I won't do it. It's... Peace, peace be to you. Thank you, Stephanie. Peace be to you and to you as well. How are you well? Yes, I am well. Well, God made it so. Um, is your house well? It is well. well. Praise God. I mean, like, is your family well? Yes, it's well. And, and I'm watching Eric do this. I'm like, are they having a conversation? Nope, just greeting. Just greeting. And then, he, and then we'd stop ten feet later because there'd be another person. 
Assalamu alaikum. And then go over and over and over again. I'm like, I'm more extroverted. And this is tiring me out. Okay? And here's Eric doing it. And the only time you don't do it is when you're far enough away from someone that it's kind of awkward. You just go, you go like this. But this is what they do. This is part of their culture. Greet, 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 greet. And I saw Eric do it all day long, knowing he's an introvert. And I saw him do it with joy, which as you introverts know, you can't fake that, right? You can't fake <laughs> Okay? He's doing it with joy. Where does that joy come from? It comes from, it's a supernatural joy that comes from Christ, from obedience to the Father in the midst of his own weakness in this, if you would call it a weakness. It's not. It's just, it's just who he is, but it's, it's not easy for him. Molly. So they have people come to their door like all day long, uh, asking for stuff, wanting to see Eric, I hurt my arm, whatever. Molly, she has to cover herself, her head, every time she has to get, go out of her house, she has to cover her head. It's 105, folks. And you might say, well, she doesn't have to. You know, she's free. She doesn't have to cover her head. And she doesn't. You're right. But because she loves Jesus, she wants to honor their culture, which is what they do there, because it would be offensive if she didn't do that. And she wants to honor their culture so that she could have a dialogue with them and, and not offend them in a way. So she could have a dialogue with them about the one that she loves. His name is Jesus. And she's able to do that because she doesn't offend. So, so I'm talking like ten times a day she's putting this lafay on and putting it over her head and going out there just to say hi and do the greeting. This is, this is just, and they're doing it with joy. And they're doing it with joy. I saw it. I tell you this, Jesus says, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the kind of joy that that, that we want to experience Kettlebrook family. I know God wants us to experience this kind of joy, His joy. And the joy that we would have in this would play itself out in our capacity to love one another. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And I want you to note that when He says that to His disciples, note that it's before the cross, which kind of says something. I, I, was, I was struck by it this time. Like He says, Love one another as I have loved you. And he hasn't gone to the cross yet, which means his love for his disciples must have been so thick, rich, and lavish, even without going to the cross, they would have been taking note of that. But he does then allude to what he's going to do. I don't think they catch it yet, but he's like, greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. And then he goes on to say, and you are my friends, because here's what's coming. He's going to lay down his life for them. And so Jesus isn't just telling his disciples, hey, I love you. He's calling them to love in the same way that he is going to love them. And you probably can count on your hand how many people that you would probably give your life for, right? And then even then, you kind of got to wonder if you're really put put to the task, would you? And he's saying, I want you to love one another in the ways that I have loved you. So how? How do we love others with that kind of love? How do we do that? There's really only one way. Some of you know that, that a few of us have been blessed to be mentored this year by Jeff Vanderstelt. Um, and so Jeff, uh, a couple months back, was talking about this idea. And he shared something with me that for 18 years of following Jesus, I hadn't heard it. It's very simple, but it was profound. And so I want to share it with you. It's not my, this isn't my idea. It is, um, I just added the prop because that's what I do. Okay. So I'm going to add a prop here uh, to this. Okay, so I have a hose over here. Because why, why not? And I have this. I'm going to need this. And then um, what I want you to think about is, um, let me see. Hopefully it doesn't start yet. Let's just see. 
Um, I want you to think about this hose as the source of water, right? Is that fair? Now, I suppose you could say, well, there's a spigot and then there's... Oh, I think it's coming. So I want you to think about this This hose is the source of water. You could say, well, it's really the water underneath the ground, blah, 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 whatever. Let's just just humor me, would you? So uh, anyway, so this source, this hose is the source of water. I want you to think about this hose as the source of God's love. So God is the source of love because we read in Scripture that God is love. And so therefore, because God is love, He is the source of love. Greg, you can turn it on for a bit. And Greg DeFore is not... The, 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 the guy who controls God's love, by the way. Um, so, but God's love pours out and is meant to be poured into us. So I want you to think about this is, we are meant to be um, containers, if you would, of his love. And so, um, we're good, Greg. There we go. Okay, so I want, sorry, Paul, there's a lot of electricity up here. Um, <clears throat> And it's pure water, not hose water. But anyway, we didn't test it out. It's okay. So I want you, to, you got it so far. Water comes out of a hose. You tracking with it? Okay. So God is the source of love, and His love is meant to pour into this in us as containers. Now, if we kept it on, the water would overflow. Now, this specific container has a spigot in it on purpose, because what it's meant to do is, as we fill this, it's meant to overflow into. Others. Okay, this, I want you to think about this would be a container. Uh, others would be an object of our love. Tracking so far? So the only way that we are to help have enough love to love others is to get love from the source of love. But here's what we do, folks. Here's what we do. We don't look to the hose for love. We don't look to the hose. We don't look to God for love. We look to other containers. We look to others. Now, they may have some love in them, okay? And we say, oh, could you please fill me up? Could you f- please fill me up? And they might be able to pour out a little love into you. But what's going to happen is eventually they're gonna, you know, there's going to be a point where they don't have the love that you need. And then you're going to be like, come on now. Come on. Or you're going to say, you know, you're going you're gonna to squeeze them for it or you're going to lash out and say, you're not giving me the love that I deserve from you, that I need from you. It's because we're not, these are not the source of love. This is the source of love. Okay? And there's a huge difference, folks. And this impacts every one of our relationships. I can tell you personally, because as I've been learning this, I've been experiencing and wrestling through it. I've had people just recently who I've loved for years who have wounded me. And the reasons I think that, that, that they've wounded me is because I've let them wound me. Because I'm like, I am looking from, I'm looking to them for something that they're not giving me in that moment. And when I do that, then I get mad at them. I'm disappointed. They, they didn't affirm me or respond to me in the way that I wanted to. And so this impacts, you look at any tense relationship, this is what's going on. You are trying to seek love from them and you're not getting it in some way, shape or form. And you're looking to the wrong thing for love. The only way, folks, we're going to be able to obey Jesus' commands to love one another is to seek love first from the source of love. And then over, we filled, when we're filled, when we're remaining, when we're abiding, we will be overflowing with that love. And that love would overflow in such a way that we would, we'd be poured out into others. That others would, would not be the source of love, they'd be the objects of love that are overflowing and poured out. I hope this is clear. 
It's the only way that we can do what Jesus asked us to do here. And that's, this is why I think Jesus adds this really tiny yet really important verse in, uh, word in verse 16. He says this. Twice in the text, he asks his disciples to bear fruit. But in verse 16, he says this. He says, um, I chose you and appointed you to go. To go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And I was thinking about it. Um, and there's only, I think there's only one time in Scripture where Jesus actually tells his disciples to not go. And that's in Acts, where he says, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit and then go. Every other time we find Jesus saying, go, 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 and bear fruit. And here we find it once again. And when he's bearing fruit here, folks, that means at least we're going and we're loving God and we're loving people and we're discipling others. We're bearing more fruit. Others that would come to know and love Jesus Christ as well. Because when we're filled up, we're filled up and overflowing with the love of Christ. The natural, the natural flow then would be for us to flow out into others as well. A thirsty world that needs Jesus. So in response to this, I want you to take some more time to reflect on some questions. i got some more questions. If you flip the sheet over, you flip that sheet, that handout over, there's going to be some more questions. I'm going to put them up here on this slide here. Here's what they are. If you're honest... If you're really honest, where are you looking for the source of love in your life? To who? To whom are you looking for the source of love in your life? I want you to wrestle through that. And the next question is, who in your life is hard to love like Jesus loved you? And why are they hard to love? It's going to be linked potentially back to the first one. And thirdly, in what ways might God be calling you to go and to bear fruit? So let me pray for you. And then I'm going to give you two minutes, three minutes to to wrestle through these questions together and we're going to sing again. Heavenly Father, thank you that these words flow so easily from Jesus' mouth. He says, as I have loved you, now go and love one another. Thank you, Father, that in every instance of this text, we find Jesus at the center of it. Not just calling us to things that he hasn't done first himself. He doesn't just command us to obey. He's been obedient. He doesn't just command us to love. He's loved. He doesn't just command us to give ourselves up. He has given himself up. And so help us. Father, show us where we're not seeking you as the source of love, where we're seeking someone or something else, whether it's our job or our, our, our spouse or our, even our kids or our, our wealth or our status that we're seeking to be affirmed and loved. Through those things, they're empty cups. They're not the source Convict us, Father. We are not seeking you as a source of love, and that's why we can't be poured out. Because we have nothing to give if we are not first being filled into an overflowing. As we remain in your Son, Jesus, may it be so. May we do it together as a family. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.